Lesson 5 for October 24 through to 30. More woes for the prophet. Sabbath afternoon, October 24. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Jeremiah went through some rather strange and difficult times. But he stood up for you, Lord, because he had his faith and trust in you. And we pray that as we learn about him this week, that we may learn about how we can have that faith and trust as well. Bless us in our daily lives too, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 7. O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than me, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. Let's read that again, Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 7. O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. One thing anyone who has followed the Lord for any length of time will learn is that being a believer in Jesus and seeking to do his will do not guarantee an easy passage through life. After all, as we've been told in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. This is a truth that Jeremiah was surely learning for himself. At the same time, however, what our faith can do for us in times of trial is give us a broader understanding upon which we can steady ourselves amid our struggles. That is... When unfair and unjust sufferings and trials come, and no one questions, so many of them are unfair and unjust, we don't have to be left alone with a sense of meaninglessness and purposelessness that people who don't know the Lord often feel. We can know something of the big picture and the ultimate hope God offers us. No matter how dismal the present is, and from this knowledge and hope we can draw strength. Jeremiah knew something of this context, though at times he seemed to forget it, and instead focused only on his woes. Sunday, October 25, Godless Priests and Prophets Removed as we are by more than 2,000 years chronologically from Judah, and perhaps even further removed culturally and socially, it's hard for us to understand all that was going on in the time of Jeremiah. When reading the Bible, especially the harsh warnings and threats that God uttered against the people, many people think that the Lord is portrayed here as harsh, mean and vindictive. This, however, is a false understanding based only on a superficial reading of the texts. Instead, what the Old Testament reveals is what the New Testament does as well. God loves humanity and wants it saved, but he does not force our choice. If we want to do wrong, even despite his pleas to us, we are free to do so. We just have to remember not only the consequences, but that we were warned about them beforehand. Question. What were some of the evils that the Lord was dealing with in Judah? And 
what were some of the evils Jeremiah was prophesying against? First of all, we look at Jeremiah 23, verses 14 to 15. Also, I have seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They also strengthen the hand of evildoers, so that no one turns back from his wickedness. All of them are like Sodom to me, and her inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood, and make them drink the water of gall. For from the prophets of Jerusalem profaneness has gone out unto all the land. And Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 26 through to 31. For among my people are found wicked men. They lie in wait as one who sets snares. They set a trap. They catch men. As a cage is full of birds, so their houses are full of deceit. Therefore they have become great and grown rich. They have grown fat. They are sleek. Yes, they surpass the deeds of the wicked. They do not plead the cause, the cause of the fatherless. Yet they prosper. And the right of the needy they do not defend. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself of such a nation as this? An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power, and my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? The litany of evils presented here is just a small sampling of what God's people had fallen into. Both the priests and prophets were godless, an incredible irony, considering that the priests were to be representatives of God, and the prophets to be spokesmen for Him. And this is just the beginning of the problems Jeremiah confronted. The evils presented here come under a variety of types. There is the apostasy of the spiritual leaders. They also lead others to do evil, as we read in in chapter 23, verse 14, so that no one turns back from his wickedness. Even when the Lord warns about coming judgment, the prophets tell them that it won't come. Meanwhile, as far as they were from God, they had forgotten the admonition about taking care of the orphans and about defending the poor, as we read in verse 28 of chapter 5. In every way, the nation had fallen from the Lord. So much of the Bible, at least among the prophetic books of the Old Testament, records the Lord seeking to call his wayward people back. That is, despite all these evils and more, he was willing to forgive them, heal them, and even restore them. But if they refused, what else could be done? Monday, October 26, Jeremiah in the Stocks The job of the prophets has always been to convey God's message, not to count how many people accept or reject it. Generally, the number of those who accept what the prophets teach at the time they are preaching it is low. For example, though we don't know how many were alive at the time of Noah, 
we can reasonably assume that the majority was not very receptive, given the small number that got into the ark. All through sacred history, this seems to be the pattern. Question. Read Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 1 through to 6. What kind of reception did his message get? Jeremiah 20, beginning at verse 1. Now Pashur, the son of Emma, the priest who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. Then Pasha struck Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. And it happened on the next day that Pasha brought Jeremiah out of the stocks. Then Jeremiah said to him, The Lord has not called your name Pasha, but Magor Misabib. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and your eyes shall see it. I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall carry them captive to Babylon and slay them with the sword. Moreover, I will deliver all the wealth of the city, all its produce and all its precious things, all the treasures of the kings of Judah I will give into the hand of their enemies." who will plunder them, seize them, and carry them to Babylon. And you, Pashur, and all who dwell in your house, shall go into captivity. You shall go to Babylon, and there you shall die, and be buried there, you and all your friends, to whom you have prophesied lies. To gain a better understanding of what was going on here, it's best to read just what the words were that Jeremiah had prophesied. The words that got him into trouble with such a high official. In Jeremiah 19, we have some of that prophecy. God will bring evil upon this place, Jeremiah 19, verse 3. He will cause the people to fall by the sword and their bodies to be eaten by birds and animals, verse 7. And he will cause the Judeans to cannibalize each other, in verse 9. Though no one would have been too happy to be the focus of such a prophecy as a leader, Pasha was especially offended. As with most people, his initial reaction was to reject the message. After all, who would want to believe something that horrible? More than that, using his position, Pasha made the mistake of punishing the messenger. He had Jeremiah beaten according to the law, Deuteronomy 25 verses 1 to 3 describes that, and locked him up in stocks. Though Pasha released him the next day, this painful and humiliating experience didn't stop Jeremiah from continuing to give his prophecy, this time not just against Judea, but specifically against Pasha and his own family. Before long, the fate of Pasha and his family would be a horrifying example to all, who would see him in the chains of captivity. This is also the first place in the book of Jeremiah in which Babylon is mentioned as the place of exile. The chapters and even sections of the chapters are not in chronological order in this book. And so to finish today, imagine hearing something like that prophesied against you. What do you think your initial reaction might be, as opposed to what it should be? What should it be anyway? And we'll finish with Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to their heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what should we do? 
Tuesday, October 27, a fire in his bones. Jeremiah's heart's words to Pasha and the nation in Jeremiah 20 verses 4 to 6 weren't his own. They were not uttered out of his anger at having been locked in the stocks for a day. They were the Lord's words to him for the people. What comes after, though, comes directly from Jeremiah's own heart, written down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is the heartfelt cry of a human being who simply doesn't like the situation he is in and is crying out about it. Question. Read Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 through to 14. What is he saying? What does this teach us about his humanity and our own humanity as well? Jeremiah 20, beginning at verse 7. O Lord, you induced me and I was persuaded... You are stronger than I, and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted, Violence and plunder! Because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back. I could not. For I heard many mocking, Fear on every side. Report, they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying, Perhaps he can be induced. Then we will prevail against him, and we will take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty awesome one. Therefore my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous and see the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my cause before you. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of evildoers. Cursed be the day in which I was born. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. He would have liked to have given up and stopped preaching. But God's word was like a fire in his heart and a fire in his bones. What a powerful metaphor of someone who knew his calling and, despite the personal pain, was going to follow that calling no matter what. We find similar thoughts written in Amos chapter 3 and verse 8. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? And 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16, similar thoughts. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. All through these verses we see the struggle Jeremiah faces. We can see the great controversy raging both outside and inside him. One minute he's praising God for rescuing the needy from the wicked. The next, as we'll see tomorrow... He's cursing the day he was born. So to finish the day, why is it so important, especially in terrible circumstances, to praise the Lord and dwell upon all the ways that he has revealed his love to us?
Wednesday, October 28, Cursed Be the Day. Even the harshest critic of the Bible would have to concede a major point. The Bible does not gloss over human foibles and weaknesses. With the exception of the spotless and sinless Son of God, few Bible characters whose lives are presented in any detail in the Bible come away without their weaknesses and faults exposed. This goes even for the prophets. As stated before, the God these prophets served is perfect. The prophets who served them were not. They, like the rest of us, were sinners in need of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, to be credited to them by faith, as we read in Romans 3.22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. From Noah to Peter and everyone in between, all were sin-damaged creatures whose only hope was, as Ellen G. White says, to go before the Lord and say, as she writes in Faith and Works, page 106, I have no merit of or goodness whereby I may claim salvation, but I present before God the all-atoning blood of the spotless Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is my only plea. The name of Jesus gives me access to the Father. His ear, his heart, is open to my faintest pleading, and he supplies my deepest necessities. Question. Read Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 14 to 18. What does this passage tell us about the prophet's state of mind concerning his own personal situation? Jeremiah Chapter 20, beginning at verse 14. Cursed be the day in which I was born. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. Let the day be cursed. Who brought news to my father, saying, A male child has been born to you, making him very glad. And let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew and did not relent. Let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noon because he did not kill me from the womb, that my mother might have been my grave, and her womb always enlarged with me. Why did I come forth from the womb to see labour and sorrow, that my days should be consumed with shame? His words, of course, here, remind us of Job's, whose situation was much worse than Jeremiah's. That's all recorded in Job chapter 3. Though Jeremiah had the assurance that he was doing God's will and the assurance that the Lord was with him, at this point the pain of his present situation consumed him. Whatever his intellectual understanding of what truth was, for now it was overshadowed by his own sorrows. At times, many people might find themselves in a similar situation. They might intellectually know all the promises of God, but they are so overwhelmed by sorrow and pain that these promises are pushing into the background. And all they can focus on is their immediate suffering. This is an understandable reaction. It doesn't mean it's a correct one, but it is understandable. What we see here again is the humanity of Jeremiah, which is similar to the humanity of us all. So to finish the day, have you ever felt the way Jeremiah did here? If so, what did you learn from that experience that could help you better cope the next time you feel that way? 
Thursday, October 29, Plans Against the Prophet Question. Read Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through to 10. What important principles about prophetic interpretation do we find here? And, in these same verses, what crucial spiritual principles do we find as well? Jeremiah 18, beginning at verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Says the Lord, Look, As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck it up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from it evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to build and to plant it, If it does evil in my sight, so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. Despite all the evil, the Lord was still willing to give people a chance to repent. Hence, here too, we see the grace of God being offered to those who will accept it. Even now, they still had time to turn around despite all that they had done. In these verses, too, we can see the conditionality of many prophecies. God says that he will do something, which is often to bring punishment. But if the people repent, he will not do what he said he would do. What he will do is conditional, depending upon how the people respond. Why would God do anything else? He would not admonish the people to turn from their evil ways and then still bring punishment upon them if they repented and turned from their evil ways. In such cases, he won't punish, and he explicitly says so in these texts. Question. Read Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 18 to 23. What reasons do the people believe they have for what they want to do to Jeremiah? What is Jeremiah's very human response? Jeremiah 18, beginning at verse 18, Then they said, Come and let us devise plans against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come and let us attack him with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. Give heed to me, O Lord, and listen to the voice of those who contend with me. Shall evil be repaid for good? For they have dug a pit for my life. Remember that I stood before you to speak good for them, to turn away your wrath from them. Therefore deliver up their children to the famine, and pour out their blood by the force of the sword. Let their wives become widows and bereaved of their children. Let their men be put to death, their young men be slain by the sword in battle. Let a cry be heard from their houses when they bring a troop suddenly upon them. For they have dug a pit to take me, and hidden snares for my feet. Yet, Lord, you know all their counsel, which is against me to slay me. Provide no atonement for their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight. 
but let them be overthrown before you. Deal lusts with them in the time of your anger. How utterly frustrated Jeremiah must have felt to be condemned by people who attacked him because, they said, they wanted to save the teaching of the law the, and the counsels of the wise and the word from the prophets. How self-deceptive the heart really can be. And so to finish today, what lessons should we learn about how careful we need to be in doing things in the name of the Lord? Bring your answer to class on the Sabbath. Friday, October 30. In Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 11 to 17, we find the Lord telling his people to stop doing the things that they were doing. Verse 11 says, So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. Verse 12 basically has the Lord saying that he already knows they won't listen to his warnings and pleas, but that they will continue to walk in the stubbornness of their hearts, as it said in verse 12. The Lord then tells what he will do because of their disobedience. This is one of many places in the Bible that show that God's foreknowledge of our free choices in no way infringes upon those free choices. After all, why would the Lord have pleaded with them to turn from their evil if they didn't have the freedom to obey or disobey him? Then too, why would he punish them for not obeying if they didn't have the freedom to obey? What's clear is that the Lord knew exactly what their free choices would be, even before they made them. This crucial truth is also seen, for instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 16 to 21. Even before the children of Israel enter the promised land, the Lord tells Moses that he knows they will, as it says in verse 20, turn to other gods and worship them. Here is more evidence that God's foreknowledge of our choices does not impinge on the freedom we have to make those choices. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, dwell more on the final question at the end of Thursday's study. Who hasn't heard people say that they were doing such and such because the Lord told them to? With what can you respond to someone who says that? Though there's no question in that God will lead us, in what ways can we test these leadings to make sure that they really are of the Lord? And two, Jeremiah said that the word of the Lord was like a fire in his bones. How can we keep that fire burning within us as well? And three, what can we find in the verses we looked at this week that can help us to understand what's involved in revival and reformation? After all, wasn't that what the Lord was looking to do in his people? For example, why is a sense of our own sinfulness so important for revival? With this in mind, why must the cross and the hope it offers be central to revival as well?
Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled Nothing But Faith, Part 2. The next morning, John went to a campus prayer service where he prayed for the students who had needs and silently prayed for his own need. A couple of hours later, he met a friend from Botswana on campus. Is everything okay? his friend asked. Yes, John said, everything is okay. God is in control. How's your mother? the friend asked. She's fine, John answered. Then, without thinking, he added, but she's worried about my school fees. How much do you need? the friend asked. John needed 50,000 Zimbabwean dollars to register. He is 250 Pula, his friend said. At that time, the Botswanian currency was equivalent to 23,000 Zimbabwean dollars. John thanked his friend warmly. John quickly found someone willing to exchange his Pula for Zimbabwean dollars at a rate that gave him 25,000 Zimbabwean dollars. John hurried to a phone to tell his mother that God had worked half a miracle. Mother, he said, can you please send Mercy, that's John's sister, to the bank to deposit 25,000 Zimbabwean dollars? John, she answered, you know I don't have the money. Just send Mercy to town, John said. God will provide the money. His mother was puzzled, but she didn't argue. So she asked Mercy to go to town and wait for God to give her the money for John. Meanwhile, John went to town to deposit the money he had received into Salusi's bank account. Then he called his mother again. I've been trying to reach you, she said. Mercy met a friend of yours in town who had promised to give you some money for food, but you had already left for school. So he asked Mercy to deposit into your account. When Mercy told him how much you needed, it was more than he had planned to give. But when he opened his wallet, he had more than 25,000 Zimbabwean dollars. So he gave Mercy the money for you. We just need to know Salusi's account number so we can deposit it. John's eyes filled with tears as he heard how God answered his prayers. He thanked his mother and his sister for helping to make the miracle happen. Hurrying back to school, John arrived just minutes before the registrar's office closed. His heart felt light and his step was easy as he thought of how God had pulled off another miracle for a young man with nothing but faith. More than 1,000 students are enrolled at Seleucy University. Many, like John, are there by faith. The school is growing larger and more space in the dining hall is needed. Thank you for supporting the 13th Sabbath Mission Offering. John Mavisiri was a theology student at Seleucia University when this was written. He now serves the Lord in Zimbabwe. Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is always faithful.